tonight's reading from 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31 to 13, verse 13. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clang, clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up selfish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been known fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. If you have your Bible or your notebook there, if you keep that open, we're on the love passage tonight. We're a couple of weeks late from Valentine's Day. So guys, uh, I, this, could have been, this could have been your night. This, could have been, this would have given you loads of ideas and essence for your cards. But anyway, that's not tonight. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's been quite the journey so far. We're coming close to the end of 1 Corinthians 13. And I thought it'd be a good idea that we think about Valentine's Day, but we're going to pray first. Let's pray. Father, you love us. You've given us the Lord Jesus. You've given us your word to teach us about him, to grow up in him. And Lord, we pray that we would do that as we grasp what is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Lord, we know that your word is true, that your word endures. Lord, we pray that we would understand exactly what love is from your perspective. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I guess, ladies in the room, those of you who are attached, those of you who are attached, might have received something like this. Roses are red, violets are blue. I am truly, madly, deeply in love with you. Like that one? Or this one? <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. I love your warm smile and your kind, thoughtful way. I love the joy that you bring to my life every day. Thank you very much. Do you like that one? So this is love. This is love according to the world. This is love according to certainly the, the, the Clinton's cards and the cards um, that you might buy in the, the spar across the road. Of course, you wouldn't be as cheap, cheapskate as that. This is love according to the world. What about this one? Now, you will not beat this one. These get better and better and better. And you find it in the Bible in front of you. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Imagine you received a card, all of these red love hearts on the front of it, and this Bible verse. And girls, I know you've dreamt of this moment to receive this Bible card. 
Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Now imagine if you received something like that and the love of your life sent you something like this and you would have thought of him, he would have thought of you and just that is the card. But this is Paul's love letter to the Corinthians. Paul loves the congregation in Corinth. They're a bit of a crazy congregation, but he loves them. He describes them as a church. We found this out in chapter 1, right from the, various, the very first moment, the first moment off, if you like. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I write to the church at Corinth. He has deep affection for them. Paul is a very affectionate man, so clearly he's writing this love letter. It might have been Valentine's Day. He's writing this love letter to the church in Corinth. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud, but it's not you. You're not this. You might be shocked, but 1 Corinthians chapter 13 describes what they really are, and they are not this, the church of Corinth. And in fact, whenever they would receive this letter, now we've got no video footage of this, but I guarantee you a lot of the guys that were sitting in the room when it was first read out, they'd have been dropping their eyes to the ground. They'd have been shuffling with their feet on the floor. They certainly wouldn't have wanted to catch eyes with anyone who knew them. This is not you, church of Corinth. So chapter 13 is placed after chapter 12 and before chapter 14. Whenever, I guess, if you get into heated debates about spiritual gifts, about tongues and all of that kind of exciting stuff, which I, I presume you have late-night discussions with in your student days or whatever it is, quite often chapter 13 drops out of the discussion. On either end of chapter 13, you get chapter 12, which is about gifts, spiritual gifts. Chapter 14, a continuing discussion, and particularly the ecstatic spiritual gifts, chapter 14. But chapter 13 gets lost in the discussion. And I would argue this evening that chapters 12, 13, and 14 must be taken together as a unit. Chapter 12 is about gifts. Chapter 13 is about love. Chapter 14 is about tongues and prophecy and the outsider concern for the person who doesn't know Jesus who wanders into the church on any given Sunday or any given gathering. Chapter 12, gifts. The Corinthians imagined that here is the marker of true spirituality. Here is how I can show off my spiritual prowess, my spiritual maturity. I can show off my true spirituality by exhibiting these gifts. Chapter 12 the world around them and the religion of the world around them, this was their view, where giftedness was a marker of true spirituality. And you might think that that is the case in any given church, in any given context, that the true marker of true spirituality is how gifted they are and how spiritual they are whenever they exercise these gifts. Chapter 12 about gifts. Chapter 13 about love. Paul's point is that love is actually the marker of true spirituality, true Christian maturity. 
You have chapter 12, you have chapter 14, but chapter 13 is the point. He wants them to grasp this, and we want you to grasp this this evening. So how does Paul describe love? Well, he says, you see this at the very end of chapter 12, verse 31b, and now I will show you after his discussion about the other gifts, chapter 12, very end of chapter 12, 31b, which is the second half of verse 31, and I will show you the most excellent way. All this chat about gifts and giftedness. He says, I'm going to show you the best way to measure your spirituality, to measure how mature you are, Corinthian church. And he talks to them as a pastor. And he says this, first of all, that love reveals spiritual people. If you want to know a truly spiritual person, instead of looking for tongues, instead of looking for the ecstatic gifts and the spectacular gifts, look for love. How humdrum is that? How boring is that? You're here this evening, and we're in chapter 12 to 14, and you've thought, I better go tonight because we're talking about these things, 12 to 14, and instead, oh dear, how boring. What's he going to talk about? What's Paul talking about? He's talking about love, and he's talking about truly spiritual people. And here is the marker. Love reveals spiritual people. So remember, in chapter 12, there's a discussion about tongues. Then chapter 13, here we have this. If I speak in the tongues of men, and the tongues there is other languages of men, and even, even isn't there, the even word isn't there, but listen to him as he's saying it, as he's speaking to them through his letter. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, I mean, imagine having an angelic language at the tip of your tongue. That'll be the most spiritual thing, wouldn't it? That'll be the most exciting thing, wouldn't it? Imagine if you could speak what's been spoken in heaven, the dialect, with the accent possibly in heaven. That means you're in a certain plane, a certain plane of spirituality. If I speak in the tongues of men, that's a bit boring, other languages, other earthly languages, for that is what tongues is. And of angels, Imagine that. I'm lifted to the planes of hyper-spirituality. I'm in orbit, not orbit. I'm in orbit. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If the drums were out tonight, I would have got the drummer just to slam the cymbals. How long does that last? even regardless of the velocity and the weight of the guy with the drumstick on the cymbals, how long does that last? It just lasts for a very brief moment, doesn't it? Bang! I'm only resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So if I've got all this spiritual prowess, what I don't love, I'm just as lasting And then verse 2, if I've got the gift of prophecy and could fathom all mysteries and knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains, 
but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love reveals spiritual people. If I speak, 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 if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Whenever chapter 13 would have been read in the church at Corinth, the reason why the guy's eyes would have dropped and they would have started to play with the floor and their feet, it's because all of these ideas, all of these concepts have already appeared in the letter so far, right up to chapter 12. They're all referenced again in chapter 13. He picks up on things he's already said earlier on. And here we have one. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. That's a reference back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 10 to 11. We looked at this two weeks ago. To another speaking, this is about the giftedness and the, the lists of gifts. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. You see this? Chapter 13, verse 1, speak in the tongues of men and of angels. So he's already referenced this. Do you think that the Corinthians would have been expecting chapter 13? Well, they would have been very happy with chapter 12. I mean, that's true spiritual maturity and attainment. If you can speak in certain tongues, this great demonstrable spiritual activity, this ecstatic thing where you're up here, where you're in a certain plane, all on your own. So that's verse 1 of chapter 13. Verse 2 of chapter 13. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. This has already been referenced. He's picking up on something he's already referenced in chapter 12, verses 8 to 10. To one there is given through the Spirit. Remember, these gifts come from God. The message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. Do you see this picked up here? Message of wisdom. See that? Referenced. Verse 2 of chapter 13. To another, the message of knowledge. You see that? Verse 2 of chapter 13, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, the gift of discernment. He's already referenced this stuff, and I guess, looking around the room, there have been those who would have valued the gift of prophecy, maybe even exercised what they thought to be the gift of prophecy, sitting in that pew there. And whenever it came to this bit in chapter 13, that person who's referenced in chapter 12 would have thought, oh, right, okay, right, okay. That's what had gone on. The one who fathoms all mysteries and has knowledge, what does he say? This is already referenced chapter 12, chapter 13. But if you don't have love, it means nothing. You are nothing. If I have faith to move mountains, didn't Jesus talk about faith to move mountains? And wouldn't there have been those who would have stood up and proclaimed, I've got so much faith. It's so strong. It's so incredible. It's so wonderful. It's so high-level spirituality. I can move mountains. I mean, that, that's pretty extreme, isn't it? If I can do the thing that Jesus said to do, but don't have love, I am nothing. 
How are you coping with love in the church family? Would you give yourself a six, a three, an eight, a nine, a ten? Where would you place yourself? Verse three, if I give all, and this is quite incredible because this is often the way you can see spirituality, true spirituality. And this is in sacrificialness. How sacrificial am I with my time, with my money? Even, verse 3, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames. I mean, that's a clear mark of spirituality. That's a clear marker, isn't it? Generosity, painful generosity, concern for the most impoverished in society. That is a true marker of spirituality, isn't it? And if you're doing well, and if you've got the person who's very interested in all that kind of stuff sitting up at the front, this person is referenced here, verse 3 of chapter 13, but don't have love. What does he say? I gain nothing. I possess to the poor, surrender my body to the flames, but have not love. I gain nothing. Look at Mark chapter 10, verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. This is the rich young ruler. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Is Paul contradicting Jesus? Well, no, he's not. What was happening, it was that all of these gifts, they had become so infatuated with the gift in and of itself, with the gift of generosity in and of itself, with the gift of surrender and sacrifice in and of itself, they'd forgotten about love. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me, Jesus says, and that is true. Paul is not contradicting that. But the obsession with this kind of giftedness immaturely within the church at Corinth produced unloving sacrifice. Unloving sacrifice of money, unloving sacrifice of time, unloving sacrifice of one's self without love. St. Chrysostom says about this, Paul names the most terrible of all deaths being burned alive. And saith that even this without charity, love, is no great thing. We exalt our martyrs, don't we? Have you ever been in Oxford to the place that Thomas Cranmer was burnt? The Archbishop of Canterbury, when Henry VIII was alive, burnt at the stake? Most unpleasant. But even with that in mind, had he not love, what is it? He gains nothing. So what, Paul says? So that's the first bit. Love reveals spiritual people. Secondly, love controls spiritual behavior. Here we have our Valentine's Day verse. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. This is the love that we're to show to one another in this church family. 
Isn't that remarkable? Imagine what we would look like if we took this seriously. For example, what is it? We, we struggle with the definition of love. We just kind of feel love. Isn't that right? There's no dictionary definition. Well, there might be a dictionary definition, but that doesn't cut it. We kind of feel love. It's an emotion. It's a kind of a, a gut thing, isn't it? Well, here we have a definition from God's perspective. How can you see love? Patience. Kindness. That's what it is. It's patient. So you have to be patient with me. And I give you plenty of opportunities to be patient with me. But then again, I have to be patient with you. And you give me plenty of opportunities to be patient. You have to be kind to me. I have to be kind to you. Am I at the center of the universe? I think I'm at the center of the universe. Are you at the center of the universe? You think you're at the center of the universe, but actually you're not. Who is at the center of the universe? Jesus. So love, you want tangibleness. You want to put your hand on it and reach out. Well, find the patient person. Find the kind person. So that's what we've got. This is what it is. Here is what it isn't. Envious, boastful, proud, rude, self-seeking, petulant, resentful. Boastful, that's an interesting one. Love isn't boastful. You, you may have met boastful people. They're a right pain, aren't they? Well, that is not loving. Paul talks about boasting. And I guess it wasn't just the front pew over on this side or the front pew over on this side or that side. This kind of encapsulated because he talks a lot about boasting. There's loads of boasting going on in the church in Corinth. They were a boastful bunch. Look at this. So then, no more boasting about men. Do you remember chapter 1 where I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Kephas, that kind of thing? No more boasting about men. That was the nature and the culture, the ethos of religion back in those days. Also, secular culture, they boasted in men. They were really, really proud of the particular group, the particular body that they belonged to. And some belonged to Paul, some belonged to Apollos, some belonged to, they lined up. It was just leaderism. And they boasted. I'm of Paul, therefore I'm better than you of Kephas. I'm much better than you of Apollos. No more boasting about Paul says, all things are yours. These guys who hung behind these particular leaders and their reputations, what was it about them? Well, it was if you hung around Paul, well, he was the church planter in Corinth. He was the guy that established the church. He preached Christ crucified. Paul had preached people had responded. So you might want to get behind him. He's the church planter. How exciting church planting is. And I've got a gift for church planting. And if we hang behind Paul, you know, we're brilliant because we will start something. We'll break new ground. That's us. Well, Paul says, no more boasting about me. Maybe Kephas. Kephas was there on the day of Pentecost. So he experienced 
the tongues speaking, the other languages speaking, and he saw the conversions. He saw people heard the message in their own language. And maybe those were the guys who you wanted to be like, you wanted to be with, you wanted to hang behind Kephas, Peter, because he had the real spiritual experience. Well, Paul says, no, stop boasting. For who makes you different from anyone else, Paul says, chapter 4, verse 7. Who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? If you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? This was the dynamic in the church at Corinth. The boasting dynamic in the church at Corinth. All glory belonged to them. Chapter 5, verse 6. Your boasting is not good, he says. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? They were boasting and boasting and boasting, even possibly boasting in the fact that in chapter 5, that a man is sleeping with his mother-in-law. So no more boasting. Love controls spiritual behavior. It does not boast. It is not proud. Chapter 8, verse 1. Now about food sacrificed to idols. We had, First Corinthians kind of breaks down into bits, doesn't it? Chapter 12 to 14 about gifts. Chapter 5 to 7 about sexuality, sexuality about morality. Chapter 8 through to 10 about this discussion in terms of what you eat and what you don't eat and where you eat and what you can eat and what you can't eat. And this was a beginning of discussion that some were using this to put themselves above other people, but is completely unloving. Look what he says about pride here. Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. You fill your brain, but knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, love is not rude. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Now, that is a big one, isn't it? The older you get, the longer your list of wrongs that have been done against you. You'll remember things that were done 30 years ago. I'm not going to forgive that. I'm not going to forget that. that. That was done to me. That done me down, that hurt me, that harmed me. There might be things that you will never, ever, ever resolve with someone. You just have to in some way absorb it. Even more so in the church family, your brothers and sisters with whom you gather around the Lord's table, with whom you partner in the work of the gospel. Love controls spiritual behavior, keeping no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Always protects. See? What is love? The tangibleness of love, patience. What it isn't, you know, when you're not loving, if there's boasting, envy, pride, rudeness, self-seeking, petulance, resent. What is it? Instead, it's protecting. It's trusting. It's hoping. It's persevering. I don't want to boast about the church family. 
really don't want to do that. But the people involved in this kind of thing are not in this room. Some of them might be, I think, as I look around, as the lights dazzle my eyes. Maybe some are. There are things that happen in our church family that I know nothing about, and that's good. I don't need to know everything. Acts of kindness, one to the other. Some people have been going through difficulties in terms of pregnancies. And I have heard no trumpet sounded. There was no email sent out. I've just heard of meals and food and a week shopping being left on people's doors, doorsteps. In some cases, entirely anonymously. There's protection. Isn't that beautiful? So what does the world see whenever they see this? It, it raises the question, doesn't it, about how wonderful, how beautiful, how incredible the gospel of Jesus Christ, that that relationship with the Lord Jesus changes how you view other people and generosity in how you treat other people. And it all happens. And there's protection one of the other. Isn't that incredible? I hear this kind of stuff and it does me good because I don't have to organize it, number one. I don't have to speak about it, number two. It all just happens. And what about you? Are you engaged in this stuff? This is a mark of true spirituality. Have you shown love in this way where you've placed a bag of groceries at someone, on someone's doorstep or provided a meal? Have you done that? to protect the other. Love controls spiritual behavior. So, where am I going here? Where are we going? Love reveals spiritual people, right? You're going to get the whole sermon again. Sorry, right? Love controls spiritual behavior. Sorry, I don't have this in front of me here. Love controls spiritual behavior. And then love outlasts spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are temporary. A heightened love of and desire for and interest in might mean that somewhere inside of you, you've lost the plot. Seriously. Where you think that this is all that there is. Paul makes this point. Verse 8, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, this is about Jesus. This is about Jesus, his return. When perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. Prophecies. And then in chapter 14, he commends exercising the gift of prophecy. He speaks of tongues in chapter 14 and how he prays and has exercised this gift of tongues. But even that great spiritual experience, that ecstatic spirit, spiritual experience, will stop someday. That will end someday, like marriage. Marriage is not in the new creation. Tongues will not be in the new creation. The Lord's Supper won't be in the new creation. 
The prophetic will be in the new creation. Knowledge. Well, what else will you want to know when you see Jesus? We know in part. We prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. Prophecy, tongues, knowledge. I mean, those words appear in chapter 12. Those words appear in chapter 14. Why do we get hung up on them? Because he says here, that's temporary. That's not long-lasting. That's a temporary manifestation of something. That's not long-lasting. That's not a forever kind of thing. Why are you so obsessed with that, Corinth? And then, verse 11, when I was a child, ooh, that would, that, that, that'll hurt. I mean, you, you receive this, and you've been a, a tongues speaker and a tongue desire, tongue speaking, desiring kind of person. You, you've wanted that. You're kind of a knowledgeable kind of person, and, you know, oh, that would have really stung whenever he says this, because essentially he's saying you're immature. <laughs> I want the gift of knowledge. I want the gift of prophecy. I want to exercise the gift of tongues. What does he say about you? He says, verse 11, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. You're immature, he says. But he says it as a pastor. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. These things will pass. You will see Christ full on. You will know what God wants you to know in eternity. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now, I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. See, this is the great thing about it. There's more to come. There's more to come. You, you will see Jesus Christ in heaven. He will be there. Your sin won't be there. Even the opportunity to sin will not be there because the tree of the knowledge of good and evil won't be there. The tree of life will be there, but the tree of the knowledge of good, there won't be an opportunity to sin. There's just no chance that you will sin in the new heavens and the new earth, and it will be incredible. Are you looking forward to that, or is your life just about this sort of stuff, the kind of this, the stuff of life? Now, these three remain. Tongues, Prophecy and knowledge? No. Faith, hope, and love. And if you have to find a big one in this triad, the biggest of all, faith, hope, love. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. That will continue into the new creation couple of questions. Will you be there in the new creation? Are you a Christian? Do you know that Jesus Christ died for your sin? Do you know that Jesus Christ invites you, invites you towards forgiveness of your sins? He died for you. 
so that you could be there, that you could see him face to face and spend eternity with him. Only those who've repented and believed will be there, by the way. If you haven't done that, you will not be there. You, you cannot guarantee what happens when you walk out of this building. You cannot guarantee. You might think to yourself, oh, I'll become a Christian next month. I'll become a Christian in 10 years' time. I'm going to live a bit of a life now. You, you, you have no guarantees. Absolutely no guarantees. Did you know three weeks ago that Putin, the Putin would fulfill his threats? Did you know that? Did you know that? Seriously, did you know that? And let me tell you, as the conference that Peter referenced yesterday, one of the speakers said, hell will be much worse than Putin. But Jesus has provided a way to be here, there, face to face, seeing him. So love outlasts spiritual gifts. So what about you this evening? How are we going on the love front? I mean, there are people I know, I annoy them. <laughs> I know that. I, I just know that. There are people who annoy me. And maybe or maybe not. I, I try to be very well behaved. I try not to say anything. Try not to let it show my face. But I know that deep down in here, <laughs> the furthest thing in my heart and in my mind towards them is love. We've got an upper game in this, don't we? Because this is how God sees it. We might imagine ourselves with great spiritual prowess because we've got the Bible, because we've got, you know, kind of a whatever going on here. But if there's no love here, well, we're nothing. A clanging gong, a cymbal, just a loud clatter of noise, and then nothing. So we see and we hear and we know what love is. This is how Paul speaks to the church of Corinth. This is how God wor God's word speaks to us as we shape and rebuild and reshape our lives according to what's here. You want to know love? Here it is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that we know the love that you had for us because Jesus died for us. He showed his love for us by going to the cross for us. We pray that our church family would mirror, echo, demonstrate that. Lord, thank you for the definition of love that's here, what it is and what it isn't. We pray that it may control us. It may direct us. That we would be truly loving one to the other, genuinely, with compassion, protecting, building, deeply loving, that the world may know that Jesus Christ is real. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name.